0: And today's sermon comes to us from the second chapter of the letter of St. James. I'll read verses 1 through 17 of this letter. Uh, keep in mind that St. James who wrote this is not James, the brother of John. Uh, John's, uh, John's brother, James, was the first apostle killed for faith by Herod Antipas. Instead, the James who wrote this letter was the half brother of our Lord Jesus. Uh, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. And he writes to us today, as he wrote to the Christians of his time,
1: My brothers,
0: show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. But whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. But he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I have a story to read to you about the landlord's mistake.
1: When John Adams
0: was president, and Thomas Jefferson was vice president of the United States, there was not a railroad in all the world. People did not travel very much. There were no broad, smooth highways as there are now. The roads were crooked and muddy and rough. If a man was obliged to go from one city to another, he often rode on horseback. Instead of a trunk for his clothing, he carried a pair of saddlebags. Instead of sitting at his ease in a parlor car, he went jolting along through mud and mire, exposed to wind and weather. One day, some men were sitting by the door of a hotel in Baltimore. As they looked down the street, they saw a horseman coming. He was riding very slowly, and both he and his horse were spattered with mud. "'There comes old Farmer Moss back, said one of the men, laughing. "'He's just getting to the backwoods.' "'He seems to have had a hard time of it,' said another." I wonder where he'll put up for the night. Oh, any kind of a place will suit him, answered the landlord. He's one of those country fellows who can sleep in the haymow and eat with the horses. The traveler was soon at the door. He was dressed plainly, and with his reddish brown hair and mud dispattered face, looked like a hard working countryman just in from the backwoods. Have you a room here for me? he asked the landlord. Now, the landlord prided himself upon keeping a first class hotel, and he feared that his guests would not like the rough looking traveler. So he answered, No, sir. Every room is full. The only place I could put you would be in the barn. Well, then, answered the stranger, I will see what they can do for me at the Planner's Tavern round the corner, and he rode away.
1: About an hour
0: later, a well dressed gentleman came into the hotel and said, I wish to see Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson, said the landlord. Yes, sir, Thomas Jefferson, the vice president of the United States. He isn't here. Oh, but he must be. I met him as he rode into town, and he said that he intended to stop at this hotel. He has been here about an hour. No, he hasn't. The only man that has been here for lodging today was an old plot who was so spattered with mud that you couldn't see the color of his coat. I sent him round to the planter's. Did he have reddish brown hair, and did he ride a gray horse? Yes, and he was quite tall. That was Mr. Jefferson, said the gentleman. Mr. Jefferson, cried the landlord. Was that the vice president? Here, Dick, build a fire in the best room. Put everything in tough-top order, Sally. What a dunce I was to turn Mr. Jefferson away. He shall have all the rooms in the house and the ladies' parlor, too. I'll go right round to the planters and fetch him back. So he went to the other hotel, where he found the vice president sitting with some friends in the parlor. Mr. Jefferson, he said, I have come to ask your pardon. You were so bespattered with mud that I thought you were some old farmer. If you'll come back to my house, you shall have the best room in it. Yes, all the rooms, if you wish. Won't you come? No, answered Mr. Jefferson, a farmer is as good as any other man, and where there's no room for a farmer, there can be no room for me. It seems at times in our lives, we all make distinctions about the people we want to be with and the people that we uphold. And it seems at times we all find ourselves making some terrible choices in those in the people that we choose. Now, back in the time of Saint James, uh, it was very common for those who were wealthy to dress like they were wealthy. Now, they went out; they were decked to the nines, as we say. That had the nice suit, that had the very expensive suit. By the way, that it had the four hundred dollars haircut, that it had the rings, and all these things. And when they walked into a place, that placed everything about them just shining to the world, wealthy. Primarily because in the time of St. James, everybody thought that, they thought that God blessed only the wealthy. Now, hey, if you were wealthy, then God's really blessing you. And if you're not wealthy, well, then God doesn't really care about you a whole lot. And yet it seems, time and again, as the, the, as Christianity has spread throughout the world and throughout societies and so forth, It's always been the poor and oppressed who responded to the gospel first. Those people who had almost nothing to lose in the first place gained everything by hearing the message that Jesus had died and risen again, and then they (coughs) were the ones that came to salvation. And it seems that for most of history, the poor, I mean the rich and the powerful, are those that, that most actively opposed the gospel. They're the ones that opposed the message. The, the, the message that all stood, stood equally before God and that they're supposed to care for one another. And as the scripture reading this morning tells us, God cares about the poor and the widow. He cares about the fatherless. He cares for those that no one else cares for. But especially in, the, in our society, I think, I think we have faced something else. For one thing, in America, uh, we don't all go out trying to dress to impress all the time. Uh, for instance, though, once again, tomorrow night, I'm going to walk into a classroom at the university, and I'm going to have 40 whippersnappers walking in to, t- to listen to a lecture. And y'all, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to look from the Z in Zellers to the B in Barnes, and I'm not going to be able to tell which one of them <coughs> has a millionaire for a father and which one of them has a poor man, and they're there on pilgrimage. hill ramp. They all pretty much dress the same. They're all going to be in shorts, t-shirts, and flip-flops. <laughs> and, 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 and they're all going to be carrying on book computers because it's just what college kids do. And I promise you, had you gone to the Bright D Stadium yesterday or gone to the quad, or something like that, there could have been a multi-millionaire walking around and he'd been in shorts, flip-flops, a Bama hat and a Bama t-shirt, just like, it, just like everybody else, and, and you couldn't have told them one from another. We don't do this thing about dressing to impress so much here in America, Uh, it has occurred to me, especially as I've talked more and more about this sermon, more and more about this scripture and everything, I'm afraid that in our case, we really look at the beauty of a person more than we look at anything else. And isn't it astounding at how our society nowadays tends to judge someone based on their physical beauty more than on any other factor in their life? Oh, we want the beautiful people in our lives. We want the beautiful people in our church. I was talking to angel this morning. I've noticed that a lot of churches that have praise bands and praise teams and stuff like that. When the praise team gets up, you don't have somebody no, you don't have you don't have Miss Grumpy up there with her hair all over the place and stuff like that. Oh no, they're all dressed to a T and they're all the beautiful people and they have the professional voices and all these things. What about singing to the glory of God and all that? Oh, you don't have that. Uh, How many of y'all remember this lady named Susan Boyle from a few years ago? They put her up on stage over in Britain uh, on this, on this Britain's Got Talent or something like that, and she stood up there and every, and every you could hear the, you could hear the audience. They're all snickering. Oh my gracious, she is so crumpy. What do you mean? Why is she on national television? How did she make it here? And then she opened her mouth, and she blew the world away. It turns out she was a beautifully talented singer, and no one could tell it from her looks, and everybody judged her by her looks. And how often in our society do we do the same thing? As a matter of fact, let me tell you how bad it is. I was talking to Angie about the sermon, uh, yes, uh, she's a really good sounding boy. Uh, Y'all all all know she works in a K-4 at Flatwoods Elementary. And she said, believe it or not, by the time those kids get in, the four-year-olds get into her class, they're already judging each other by how they look. They want to be with what she calls the P and the P, the pretty and the popular. And I'm afraid it's the same way with our using the pretty and popular as it was with the people in St. James' time using the dress to the nines to determine who we want in our group who we want in our congregation, who we want in our want working for us, and all this other stuff. And folks, here's what it still comes down to. It was sin in the time of St. James for them to for them to choose people because they're wealth, and it's sin for us today for us to make any distinction just the same. It's still sin. Because it comes down to what James says here. About these people. If you're paying attention to one person because of something they have, some quality you desire, and you're turning away somebody else, you really are making distinctions among yourselves and becoming judges with evil thoughts. Because it comes down to this the scripture tells us of Jesus. Now, Isaiah says that he would have no form of comeliness that anyone would desire him. Jesus wouldn't make it in Hollywood today. Okay? And he probably wouldn't make it in most churches today. And from what we know about, about some of the most powerful people in the scripture, and some of the godliest people in scripture, uh, Elijah, got, you know, Elijah got laughed at because, because he was a bald-headed man. Uh, Elijah got, got, got laughed at and scorned because he wore camel's hair and hair garments and ate locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist, sure enough, wouldn't make it on many churches churches to that day. The moment he walked in the door, they'd put him in the basement if they let him in at all. And Paul himself describes himself as somebody kind of small in stature and not very good looking. And what it comes down to is we need to understand what James is trying to get across to the people here. And it may not be so much about wealth in the United States, because believe it or not, every single one of us in this sanctuary today When you compare us to the rest of the world, we are the 1%. We are, uh, you can take any one of us. You may think, well, I don't hardly have a dime in my name, but let me tell you. You take, if I could take any one of you, or take me, and stick me down in some village off somewhere or other in Asia or Africa, or something like that, I would instantly become the wealthiest person in the whole area. See, God's blessed America that much. And I'm afraid that in our desire for all of these things, and our desire for the P and the P, the pretty and the popular, and our desire for all this other stuff, we have done exactly what they have done here in James' time here. We have made distinctions among ourselves. We have become judges with evil thoughts. We have forgotten that God chose the poor in, in the world to be the rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And we have dishonored the poor and the plain in pursuit of the pretty and the popular. We need to understand a key point in Scripture and a key point. salvation. And here's what it comes down to. If we show partiality, we are committing sin, and we are convicted as transgressors. And how can we say that? Aren't we really better than somebody else? I mean, hey, uh, he has a better education, he has a better job, he has a better this, a better that. Surely he's better than somebody else. Well, let me tell you, this is a good old US of A, and we believe in free and equal. So, when it comes down to it, uh, equal men are not born free, and free men are not born equal. We all know that God created men equal, but we all know that some people have some advantage over somebody else. You've got somebody with a talent in some, in some certain way. We have people in, the, in our society. They have something that possess that, that, some sort of advantage. They have some sort of mentality or something. It doesn't matter what situation you put them in. They're going to come out on top. Uh, I, uh, it's a, like, like I have said before, you've got somebody in your family that may be you. You can take everything away from that person today. And by the end of the next week, they've got two businesses going out of whatever place they're living in. By the way, they're in, the, in contract to buy a mansion and they're driving the they're driving the, uh, you know some fancy car out out there, and, they, and they've got two more waiting to, on delivery, okay? And you've got somebody in your family, and they, I don't know, maybe you. You can give them Microsoft, you can give them Apple computer today, and they'll be sleeping on your couch in two days. You know, a dime, not two dimes per to rub together. And as we're looking at all these people, and we're looking at all this in our society, and we're upholding this person, and we're kind of looking down on this person and everything, I think it's time for the church really to get a couple of things straight here. First off, we all stand equal before God. Because we're all sinners. We are all in rebellion against God. And every one of us deserves condemnation for our sins. Every one of us deserves eternal punishment for our sins because we've all rebelled in some way or other. And if it weren't for the grace of God, as what James talks about here, about those in the law of liberty here, about those that have received grace, if it weren't for the grace of God, none of us would have any right whatever to stand in this sanctuary, to sit in this sanctuary, and we sure enough would have absolutely no right to stand before an almighty God. As it is, God doesn't care how rich we are. God doesn't care how popular we are. He doesn't care how powerful we are or weak. He doesn't care about any of those things. God sent his Son into the world so that the world through him might be saved. God sent his Son into the world so that every human being who stands before him condemned could instead stand before him redeemed and justified. God sent his son into the world so that the people of James' time and the people of our time can still hear the gospel. The gospel is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel is that Christ has still given his life for us and raised again from the dead for us so that we might have victory over sin and death. And the gospel is still that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's The gospel. It doesn't matter what color this stuff is. Um, excuse the little thing right there. Move, move from work. Uh, it doesn't matter about it. it. Doesn't matter what color your hair is or whether you got hair, it doesn't matter what color your eyes are, it doesn't matter what car you drive, or if you walk, it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. What matters is the fact that God has that God has sent Jesus to redeem us. And forgive us when we come to him, confessing him as Lord, believing God raised him from the dead. And the moment we are forgiven before him, once again we stand equal before him. Everybody's going to stand before God equally in one way or the other. Either as an unbeliever or as a believer. And God's not going to say, well, you know, you have a godly heritage here. You know, your great-granddaddy was a church musician, and, yeah, your daddy was a pastor, and, yeah, your nephew's a pastor, and, yeah, you're a pastor and all that stuff. Boy, you've got it made. Just go ahead and get right on over here. Oh, you. Well, sorry, you're you're first generation here. Uh, You don't quite fit in quite the way this guy is. God doesn't do that. Okay? God looks at every single person. He sees someone he has created to serve serve him and to love him for all of eternity. And every person that we meet when we leave here, and every person that we meet before we get back here, and every person we meet while we're here, will live forever in some place or another. And the person that you may slight in some way today may be the person. Who prays to you tonight, and who brings you through a terrible time tomorrow, and you may never know at this side of eternity. And I believe that brings us to this thing about a living faith. Because James goes on to say, what good is it if somebody says he has faith and doesn't have words? Well, say you have faith all day long but if you're discriminating against people for one reason or another or you're, or, or you're kind of turning somebody aside from one reason or another, and if you're especially not helping somebody else and you're not doing something to demonstrate the living faith within you really people have a good question have a good reason to, reason to wonder exactly whether it's there. Or not. now once again I want to get something straight I'm not asking anybody here to doubt your salvation. If you know you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, praise God. And I want you to leave here knowing once again that you were born again and redeemed. What James is talking about here are these people who want to say that they have the faith and they have that mental assent and all that stuff, but their lives don't show it. And there's always been this tension in Christianity about, well, how much should we work and what part do works play in our salvation and everything? Well, our works don't play any part in our salvation. That comes down to our belief. And once we're born again, then the works come in to demonstrate what is going on within us. The works come in to demonstrate that there's a living God inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's guiding us and directing us day by day to do something for this person, to do something for that person, to help that person out. Whether they even know it or not, it's completely irrelevant. What really does matter is the fact that God's doing something in through us in them to help them become one of His believers as well, or if they're already a believer, to strengthen their faith as well. I want us to reach the point as. New Hope, a congregation, and as individual believers in Christ, where the moment we see somebody needing help, we don't have to stop and pray, God, should I help that person? It's just an instantaneous thing. We do whatever we have to help that person. Not because we see them as a prospect for the church, not because they're pretty and popular, Not because, not because they're rich or can do something for us later on, but because we see that person as someone who either is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and therefore a member of the family, or someone who ought to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and should become a member of the family. And when we live in that way, then we show that we have a living faith. We show that we don't have just a faith with no works. We don't have a dead faith, we have a living faith. Now I know in our society today that it's very difficult for some folks to look beyond just the face. We are pretty much geared that way almost from the time we're born, unfortunately. But I believe that as the church goes out, and as the church demonstrates, That we do care about every person, regardless of their looks, regardless of their clothes, regardless of whatever else. If we see that person as an immortal who will live forever, I believe that we will demonstrate to the world that there's something living within us that they need. And maybe they don't have it yet, but they can get it the same way we do by believing, believing in a Jesus who lived and died so that everybody might believe. And as we go out today, I really want people to look at the congregation of New Hope as a place who will accept anybody who comes, who will accept everybody who comes. Uh, not just the P&Ps, but also the also the poor and the downtrodden and so forth. uh, I want them to see us as a church with a living faith that will care for and minister to all those people that God puts in our path. And as we go out today, I want us to take James' words to heart. Uh, One of the things I notice about James here, he talks much more about a dead faith. I want us to turn this into a positive, and I want to be a living faith. Let people see in you this week that you have a living faith. Because while the rest of the world is gravitating towards one group or another because of what they can do for them or because of some quality they have, go ahead and go to the poor. Go ahead and go to those that are be oppressed. Understand that God cares deeply about them. And because He does, we must as well. And as we go out, I hope as we can Come in next week, we have stories to tell of people that we have helped and of people that we have not overlooked as the rest of the world did. And we have stories to tell that God has used us to demonstrate to the world that he cares as much about the farmer as he does about the vice president. And he cares as much about the poor as he does about the pocket. And I hope as we go out and as we come back that we have stories to tell that demonstrate not just to one another but to demonstrate to people who may never tell us on this side of eternity that this week they saw a living faith in us. They saw a faith that's untarnished And it's full of glory. Not because of who we are, but because of who the God is that has redeemed us and brought us into his family and given us the great responsibility to carry the gospel in our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.